Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Uh, If you haven't seen already, me and James are hosting a flip weekend course extravaganza bonanza. It's going to be two full days. When I say full days, I mean very, very full days, plus four, yeah, you heard me, four site visits, all at different stages of the refurb. So so some of the site visits are going to be separate to the weekend, um, but we are running this, I mean... By the time this comes out, it might have already started. So just check with me. This is the problem with content making it earlier. Um, but check with me, send me a DM. Uh, you know, we are doing this and it's going to be epic. People really loved our HMO five day event we did before. So now we're talking about flips. Great way to generate cash. Anyways, on this podcast, we have Radhika Shah. She is talking about social media, investing in HMOs four and a half hours away, then changing it to be a fair bit closer, working with family and general advice on finding a business partner. And we talk quite heavily at the end about social media, haters, you know, being confident on video and various other topics and mistakes and challenges that she's had and how you can overcome them. So here we go. Radhika, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hey Tej, how are you? I am well. I am. I'm really looking forward to this discussion because I think we've got a few different topics uh, to talk about. And you just mentioned something off air mm-hmm. about switching from one strategy to another in some respect. And yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that because you're switching to maybe my preferred strategy. So, um, and and of course, you know, hopefully people recognise you from social media and your videos and your reels and your content, um, which is authentic, which is real, which is why you're here because. That's what this is about. Um, before we get into all that good stuff and before we get into property and what you're doing and how you're doing it and who you're doing it with, uh, you know, how did you get into property and what were you doing like before you kind of got into property? Yes, yeah, so great question. So I graduated from university. I went traveling, came back, was supposed to take my life seriously and then went traveling again for another <laughs> couple of weeks. As you do, yeah, of course. And I was quite fortunate where I had already been working as a swimming teacher and earning quite good money as that. And where my job was on zero hours, I could just basically fill in, et cetera. So it was quite good in that respect that I didn't need to jump in and find a job. And then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and then ended up getting my first job at the end of January, three, four years ago now or three years ago. And I just randomly saw a property post on Instagram through a friend and he just mentioned to read a couple of books. And then I was just really intrigued by it and saw the wealth aspect. And I'd never, ever thought that I could make money from it now. But I was just kind of, okay, what can I do for the future? And then just started learning more about it, going to network meetings, and then basically ended up buying property. And, you know, during this period of kind of learning and networking, you know, would you say it kind of changed your preconceptions about property? Yes, definitely. And I think it's more about the time period that we're in, because when I was starting, purchase these options and HMOs were just the thing to go to. And everyone was talking about it. Not many people were talking about other strategies. It was just purely from what I was hearing was just kind of those things. But then starting off with <laughs> no money down and things like that, and just other opportunities of how to get started. It's not just kind of saving for 20 years and then, you know, buying your first property. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that is definitely the real kind of traditional way of doing things. But of course, us cool kids are kind of, you know, doing a lot of BR and, you know, other assisted sales and all sorts of funky, funky stuff that, you know, I think isn't in sort of like the general public knowledge. Like if you went into a restaurant and asked 20 people about property, they would say, oh, yeah, you buy, you save, then you, yeah, you know, it just covers the mortgage and then you wait till you retire and then you, you know, and there's such a kind of different way of doing it. So I love that it, it kind of opened up what can seem like a bit of a mysterious and mystical world um, from a distance to all these new ways of doing it. So property has, you know, who knows, tens, hundreds of different strategies, approaches, methods, whatever you want to call them. Like when you were starting out, how did you know what you wanted to do? 
I honestly did not know what I wanted to do. There were so many strategies. They didn't have any money, which, you know, I mean, if you do have money when you're 23, you know, well done to you guys. But I definitely wasn't in that 1% of bracket. So I was, it was just so overwhelming to know all of these different strategies, but then hearing the terms like, BRRR or doing HMOs where you can get you can recycle um, some of the cash or adding value and things like that made it sound a lot easier and just focusing okay this is what I need to achieve this is what I'm doing this is what kind of focuses for me where I have to pay back investors and things like that so I think once you understand your situation it helps you guide where you need to be and what um, strategies that you use. Yeah, that's 100% correct. It's like, what's your situation? And where do you want to be? You know, if you've got 30 years, and you've got a huge salary, and you're not that bothered about your job, you kind of like it, then maybe you do the traditional way, maybe you buy a couple a year, and then at the end, you go crazy and buy, you know, but if you really don't like your job, you want to quit it, you've got limited funds, and maybe you do rent to rent, you know, so that's a really Mm -hmm. good point there about your situation. And so given your situation at the time, and whereabouts are you based? Where do you live? So I live in West London. Big up the West London crew. Uh, and actually not too far from me, I only just realised. I'm now I'm in the yeah, countryside. Yeah, around the corner. Back then, yeah. Um, so, you, you know, we both know and, and people will kind of know London, West London is expensive. The yields aren't great. It's, it has a really high kind of barrier to entry. So at this point, back in your kind of um, journey, what I suppose, what was your chosen strategy and why? And then where were you going to do it? I didn't have a set strategy. So I was very early on, I think I was learning for about three months. And I was in a very fortunate position where my aunt, two of my aunts who also invest in property, who are now my business partners, but she, one of my aunties actually had an opportunity with a property sourcer in Lancashire. And she was maybe two or three months ahead of me in the game. But there was a second opportunity that she actually passed on to me. She could have easily done both properties herself, but she actually passed that on to me just to help me get onto the property ladder and that investment side. And it was a HMO and everything just basically stacked up. And it did have a £20,000 council loan attached to it, which is interest free for 10 years, which it was just so many boxes ticked. It was like the right opportunity at the right time and I had to take action on it. And did that come from a source of that deal? Yeah. I mean, wow. Firstly, well done for that sourcer because <laughs> most sources just sell utter shite. So um, it's good that there was a sourcer who had a deal yeah. um, that was that good. And this council loan, for people who don't know, is this like the, um, I don't know what they call it, but like the empty homes renovation loan they do? Yeah, yeah. That's and so you got £20,000 interest free and you could pay it back over 10 years. Yeah, so it comes out as a direct debit every month. So I think I pay £160 or something like that every month. Um, to the council. Wow. And, you know, for people listening, a lot of these are available in a lot of different places. Um, Did they do the thing to you where they said, um, we won't loan you more than like 80% LTV in total? Um, To be honest, I can't actually remember. I think um, where it is in Burnley, if anyone has been to Burnley, there's really nice parts, but then there's also really rundown parts. And I think the council were just fed up of all of the streets being boarded up and just had to put a stop to it. So it's essentially incentivizing landlords to renovate the properties who are ready to put in the money. But obviously the council can't take on the full responsibility of it. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea. It's nice, again, to, you know, to see councils actually doing something you know proactive for their people. Like, because where I invest, they have this kind of empty homes loan, but basically they won't sort of, the loan plus whatever like loan you have on it, like a bridging or mortgage, can't go past like 75 or 80%. So unless you bought it 100% cash, which is not always a smart investment decision, you can't get these loans. So for people listening, they sound really good. But I think you need to find areas like I think it has where they work that well. Um, Because a lot of councils just, yeah, it's all talk and you you can't actually use them very much. And they've got millions of pounds sitting there. So it's also, sorry to interrupt, but it's also very time dependent because ever since I told everyone about the empty home zone, this was three years ago, nearly four years ago, I think. I can't even do math. (laughs) 
But it was four years ago, three years ago. So that might not even exist in some postcodes anymore because they have been redeveloped. And I get tons of messages saying, can you help me with the empty home zone? But most of them in some areas that I invest have expired or they've moved on to different areas because they have been redeveloped. So it's just understanding what is the council offering right now rather than what other people have done in the past. Yeah, and that's really important. And, and I suppose it's also just being aware of these things, which if you don't get them, then fine, you know, carry on, uh, you know, as normal. But hey, if you get this, then that that's a pretty nice bonus on top of, you know, what you're doing anyway. So this being, oh, what, two and a half, three hours from home? <laughs> Four and a half, five hours. That is a good distance away. And it was your first deal and your part-time property because you have a job right mm-hmm. um i mean that was a mouthful to say but to actually do um <laughs> like how did you yeah how is my question basically so as i mentioned my aunt was a couple of steps ahead of me so she was helping me with the purchase side the refurb side it was basically a clone on a different road um so she helped me through most of it but the property sourcer was also a project manager and she did the letting side as well at the time and now she's coming back into it as well but she I am so thankful for her because she essentially held my hand told me what to do when to do it and it was kind of I I did over leverage but at the same time I was so out of my depth that I had no idea what was going on that I just didn't really have anything but to trust this lady and trust my aunt that we were making the right decision I know that's not good advice but I mean there was nothing I could do about kind of visiting the property every single week because it was just impossible yeah and you know you're saying it's not good advice but it's reality and you know um I think sometimes our own like naivety, like you said there about not knowing and, and being over leveraged and trusting kind of works in our favor. Cause sometimes when you have too much information, we're like, Oh my God, this, this, that, that, Oh, I can't do it. And then you don't buy your first deal. Cause you're, you know, everything then piles on and you sit there in analysis paralysis and then you can't kind of move from it. So sometimes they're not knowing, um, even if it is with debt, can kind of be a blessing in disguise when you have a guiding figure. Now, Radhika, if people haven't got an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or anyone in property, they can still find someone like that. So, you know, what would you advise people who are kind of hearing this and, you know, seeing your journey on Instagram or whatnot, who don't have a person like that, what could they do instead to learn? That is a great question because we live in this um, era of social media and it's just becoming more and more apparent. And it's so easy to work with someone like ourselves or reach out to someone like ourselves. We're not all obviously going to reply to every single DM that we get, but there are so many people that are doing great things on social media and always do your due diligence on these people. But, you know, there are people out there who are going to be a couple of steps ahead of you or, you know, a lot of steps ahead of you. So just understanding, okay, who can I work with? Who is that persona that I want to work with? And let me just go and message them. Let me see if I can go to an open day that they host. Let me see if I can go see their properties, maybe do something like an invest and learn, obviously doing every due diligence part on this. But there are so many people out there that do this, maybe even worth it for just understanding what you actually want, who you want to be and who you can follow to help you get there. Yeah, good advice. And I think, you know, the, the I suppose the, the core thing you said there is people. Um, obviously, there's going to be books, going to be podcasts, there's going to be, uh, you know, videos on YouTube, there's going to be reels, isn't it? There's all this stuff, but, you know, the information is not from the video or from the book. It's from the person who, who's writing it, who's talking. So I think it's really important for people to get out there. Um, and there's so much content out there for free. You know, there's a lot of people who obviously don't want to spend money. And that's a whole different discussion. But there is so much out there for free that I don't think you can necessarily get everything and all the glue to glue all the bits together. But you can get whatever percentage of knowledge just by stalking you know just by kind of (laughs) sitting there not saying anything and just watching and watching and watching like so many of you do i know you're listening to this right now thinking oh that's me yeah that's you um there's so much you can get from that and of course there's good books i mean tej talks guys written like two and they're sick i heard um so you know put yourself out there talk to people learn from people and take these opportunities when they come because radica had someone there who could guide her through every single step now that is epic right you know Having someone like that, whether it's your aunt or whether it's someone you've paid or whatever it is, makes a big, big difference. So 
after you did this first deal, obviously, you know, baptism by fire, straight into a HMO, you know, you're learning from that. Did it help you for the next deal and the next deal after that? Yes, so it massively helped me. And just having that experience as a landlord as well, because companies, most um, mortgage companies do look at that aspect as well, especially when you're doing bigger HMOs. I didn't actually know this, so it's always good to check with a broker whether you can actually get lending on a HMO, because I've heard some stories where people can't get lending um, just because of their experience and things like that. So just, it's always great to speak to a broker to see what you can and can't do. Um, but yes, it did massively help me just to understand, okay, what is a real life HMO? Because it's all well and good seeing other people's posts and saying it's doing really, really well. But when you're actually physically there, knowing the numbers, knowing the rent, what's happening with the letting side, what's happening with the refurb, you just understand so much. And the key thing that I learned is refurbs take whatever, even if someone says it will take three, four months, it will take you six, seven, eight months. So don't ever rely on what someone says. Always add a few months um, extra onto it. Yeah. I find builders in particular, like I, I just say it to their face now. I'm like, so how long is this going to take? And they're like, about four weeks. I literally laugh and I'm like, four weeks. You should say four weeks. Do you really think it's going to take four weeks? Because I don't think it's going to take four weeks. And then they laugh and they're like, well, you know, uh, COVID or material prices. or It's like, you know, I, I, I sometimes blame them. Sometimes I don't. It can be really hard to predict um, with a new build, obviously, it's way easier because it's once you're at the ground, you're building. But with an old house, with oh, we've hacked this off, Radica. We're going to spend another two weeks boarding the house now. Or, oh, Radica, we thought we could keep the electrics, but now we can't. And so, you know, there's so much that can go wrong. And I think that's why some people prefer new builds to old houses. But again, that's that's a different you know topic I've got podcasts on. So when it comes to this HMO, did you slash do you self-manage it or have you got an agent managing it? So I do have a agent managing it. There's no way, especially with HMO, that I can manage from five hours away. So uh, to be honest, my strategy was because of my limited time and the location side was to try and be as hands off as much as I could be. And, you know, I don't want to replace the job with lettings. So I'm just going to leave that to the experts. That makes sense. And, you know, after you did this, this first HMO, what was your plan? Was it then, right, let's get more HMOs, let's build a portfolio? What kind of followed after that? I wanted to wait and test the waters. And I don't know if this was a good decision or a bad decision. You just never know, right? But I wanted to test the waters to see if this could actually work. And I definitely wanted to do one and then recycle the money. But then it got to the point where I was actually in discussions with two of my aunts who, um, you know, because we're doing this together, why, why not see if we can form a business together? And it did take some time to kind of form a and making sure that we can actually work together. But one thing that we wanted to do is come closer to home. So we tried to do everything on our own and it backfired. And I think we wasted about six months trying to do everything on our own. And then we ended up kind of taking the approach that with our limited time and lack of knowledge of the areas, let's find a good property for six deals. But then we just finished on the HMO earlier this year. Okay. So, Radhika, you were obviously looking for somewhere closer to home, which I don't blame you for, uh, and, you know, working with your aunties. Well, I suppose firstly, before we talk about the properties, working with family, no matter who they are, can be testing, you know, because it's different to a sort of business partner that you just happen to know who maybe isn't related. How, how did this kind of come about? Was it an active discussion? And how did you know that you could all work with each other? That is a very good question. And it always changes because we, I think we did have a discussion about it. I can't remember too much into details, but we've also, we've always been really, really close and we've done a lot of stuff together. Even when I was younger, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, even when I was at university, we've just always had this really, really close relationship. And I think working together knowing what our objectives and where we want where we all wanted to go just made sense because having three people compared to one person in your own business it it just made life so much easier knowing that you have a close relationship um 
yeah but I, I guess the communication like side is a lot a lot harder because most of our chat right now is about business but we do have times where we just like no business talk let's just go out have dinner or something like that mm-hmm. and how have you found it working with them has it been the what you thought it would be I don't really have any expectations apart from having property um, and that we're helping each other. But it's definitely brought us a lot closer. I didn't speak to them every day before, but now I pretty much speak to them every single day. I feel like we're a lot more open with each other. And I don't think they're ever my aunties. I've also like known them as like my older sister's. Um, someone that I can always go to for advice and things like that. So it's a very different relationship, but it's quite strange to see that they rely on me and my knowledge and expertise as well. It's very different. You don't really get that with kind of a, a younger and older partner. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, you know, for people out there who are looking for JV or business partners, any advice or tips you can give them to, you know, I don't know, vetting a business partner or maybe certain things they should look for? Yeah, definitely. I think one is knowing them. I think people are so quick to jump into JVs and I was nearly in that position as well. But, you know, you have to cater for when things go wrong. And I think that's the hardest part is when there's so many unknowns when it does go wrong, but it's something that you have to kind of face open about when things go wrong, what is the plan? And by knowing someone, you kind of know, okay, this is, you know, their family or, you know, they've got X, Y, Z objectives that they need to hit and where they want to be. So just understanding who that person is and your relationship with them. And then secondly is kind of assessing what you're good at and what they're good at, what you're not good at and what they're not good at and seeing if you can leverage each other. There's no point of you both being strong in one particular field but then lacking all of the other skills that are needed it needs to be a balance where there's all of the expertise that are covered good tips and and that's a really good point actually about both of you or three of you or four of you whatever covering every element so for you what element do you think you bring like what's your strong point what do you enjoy the most (laughs) to be honest my I didn't I didn't even know if I had a strong side at that point or not but I think me I'd say I'm more of an introvert now but I'm definitely was a massive extrovert and I love networking I love building relationships with other people so my responsibility was to try and find investors people that we can work with um and then it slowly started building out as this um social media person (laughs) and branding and content so that's kind of been my strong points is to essentially bring in warm leads essentially for investors but then also at the same time building my brand that people recognize me when we go out and things like that and that they want to kind of know more about our business and anything that we have to offer but it has slowly changed because a lot of my content is just out there for free to be honest um and it's more for people who are starting out rather than the flip side but it just adds added bonus i know i rambled on a lot there but (laughs) no it's it's good to know it's good to understand you know if if people are out there maybe in a situation where you were thinking well what am i bringing to this jv what's my thing what can i offer you know, more often than not, we kind of doubt ourselves and we don't realise what we can offer. Whether it's experience from our, you know, careers, from our education, from life, from whatever it is, like we all have something to offer someone in kind of some shape or form in a JV. And you mentioned there about, you know, like your content is obviously helping people who are starting out. And, you know, when you started out, you kind of went straight into a HMO. A lot of people go into to buy to lets and we'll get to that in a second. But what do you think are some common reasons that people you know they don't get their first property what do you think are some common like factors or blockages for people getting their first investment property I would say the first one is not putting in the work and people need to realize if you get one rejection that is one rejection you, there's it, it's really hard to tell people that they need to work harder right but in reality no it's not you need to work harder people. tell them say it <laughs> <laughs> But when people if people need to understand that they need to get working really hard and that just because they get a, a rejection it, it's not no it's no not now but there's other opportunities out there and that might not be the right opportunity for them or they need to be a little bit smarter and how they can use the feedback to get their next property but people just not need to give up on the first instance it's so easy to give up because you're not seeing the results um but yeah they just need to keep working hard at it yeah and I think you phrased that quite nicely um because yeah I think a lot of people need to basically be told 
work fucking harder. Um, because there's a lot of people who make property look easy. And there's a lot of people on, on Instagram who don't share the ups and downs, you know, like you do, like I do. There's people who just show the results and they may say, oh yeah, it took me, you know, uh, three months to do this and it's hard work, but hey, look at this. And as much as it's also their fault, and I'd love your thoughts on this, but actually it's, I say our, but it's sort of us as society's fault because we don't want to hear how many months you took right ago. We don't want to hear how hard it was. We just, we just see the positive result. We see the sexy interior. We see the profit and we think, oh, she posted about that. So wow. I mean, I can do it quick because, you know, do you think that, you know, we as people are also to blame for wanting instant gratification and wanting just the positive and the result? This is a tricky one because you post on social media for a certain reason. I post on social media for a certain reason. People need to understand that we as, you know, con- content creators, whatever we call ourselves, we have objectives that we want to hit. It's not about how other people perceive us because at the same time, I'm still trying to grow my brand as much as I can at the moment. And so my content is very much what I want to focus on. Yes, I don't, you know, delve into the the sad stuff all the time do it just because it's so hard to talk about and there's some things that you just physically cannot share with people especially when you're still in good relationships with those people and you can't say like oh this was really shit with this person (laughs) do you know what I mean sorry for swearing but um you know there's certain things that you can and can't post but at the same time it's your social media is for you and it's not for anyone else I don't care if I piss people off and I don't care if people like love my stuff it's for me to grow my brand and at the same time as a bonus helping other people so I think people need to understand what is the reason that we're posting xyz content yeah there's some good points in there and I think I think the thing you said about relationships that makes a lot of sense. I personally, I suppose I don't see that because I just burn that bridge. You know, I just, I just uh, cremate it. It's done. <laughs> and then, so I'm like, yeah, I can talk about it. So th- there's a really good point there. And, and like you said, some things are really hard to talk about. Um, on the flip side, I think, you know, when they're not it's sort of as difficult, you know, social media can be a really kind of, it can be like a form of therapy because you're speaking to an audience of people who pretty much are experiencing the same thing as you being like, oh, wow. So, it's not just me. And then you kind of have a laugh about it and it kind of, it can kind of cheer you up and I suppose get it off your chest to people who understand. But at the same time, it's helping other people, right? Um, because they're learning from the tribulations and the trials and everything else that happens. But, you know, going back to, I suppose, the original point there, which was about working hard in a rejection. I mean, how did you get used to the rejection or become accustomed to it? This is the beauty about being in sales is rejection's not a thing for me. It honestly, I don't even recognize rejection half the time anymore. It's kind of, okay, how else can I go and get this? And it's becoming more of a solution person. Uh, sorry, I don't know what the terminology I was trying to say there. Solution focused person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a solution focused person. So I don't see rejection as what other people classify it as it is and everything is down to what you believe and what your perception is and having someone say no or a property goes through okay cool what did I learn from this and how can I do better next time how can I make sure I secure the property or how can I make sure that I'm hitting xyz um tasks that I've had to do for this week so if you are like if that is a common problem for you and dealing with rejection go get a sales job because it will teach you so much and it will help accelerate your rejection rate and turn that into a positive a million percent um and I, and I thought you were going to say that um i worked in i had my own recruitment business before this so i i know what you mean it's just like every day every hour all the time we get rejected it's just like you just it just becomes normal you know is i think sometimes it gets to the point where if someone says yes you're like oh crap how do i respond this is so unusual like what what do i do this is i haven't planned for this um and at that point i think you know like yeah, yeah you're you're hard you're you're ready for for property because you know i don't know what kind of numbers you're seeing but well before this crazy market i was probably well i think they say on average like 40 to 50 viewings to get one kind of BRR accepted does that align with what you're finding or you were finding so my strategy is very different because I don't I haven't done a viewing with an estate agent in probably about three years so uh, my strategy was very much focused on um, working with property investors and we had a really uh, we have a really great relationship with our Peterborough property sources and the ones that we've worked with elsewhere but 
we did find a lot of deals fall through and, you know, various reasons they've been taken off the market, vendors pulled out, you know, X, Y, Z. There's so many different reasons when you still get that offer accepted. So you're still putting yourself out there. But I think we had about, I think about six, between the last property and this property that we're going through, we had about six deals fall through that were quite going along the line, like not even just going on viewings or anything like that. The offer had been accepted and we still had six deals fall through. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, they do say, what is it? One in every three deals or something falls through, but you know, that is a lot. And was there a common reason for them? Every one was different except for two of them, the planning side in Peterborough. If anyone invests in Peterborough, getting a six, getting over a six bed going into Sui Generous is just near enough impossible to get just because of the parking situation. And yeah, so now we've learned our lessons is just not to go for anything over six bed, but it did happen over two properties and lessons learned from both. We we were creative with one of them and we did have something approved off that property, but then the vendor was just being a nightmare. And then he found out we had planning and he was like, I can sell it in the auction and then decided to put it in the auction. And then it just got a bit of a messy environmental um, people from the council were also involved. And yeah, it was just the whole mess. And we just decided to walk away, even though we'd spent probably a couple of thousand on the planning and things like that. Wow. And, you know, I suppose that comes with it, right? I mean, you know, people want to do stuff with planning. They want to do new builds. They want to do developments. But, you know, all this kind of stuff, where planning, where costs, architect fees, whatever it is, are involved beforehand you're putting the cash up and it's also never coming back to you if the deal doesn't go through so i think there's an important lesson there it's kind of like the more complex the deal gets and it may not be complex to you right because it's it's what you do but the more complex it gets for people you know the the more issues that can arise from each of the steps because you've got five touch points instead of one you've got six issues instead of two so yeah it's interesting to know the kind of reasons that it fell through and if we then after this little detour go back to you know your story and where you were um i believe we left it off at you were looking for hmos closer and now we know that sources are your main deal obtaining agents so what happened then did you say did you pick peterborough out of the blue was it kind of researched what made you pick there and then what did you start doing there so this is a funny story to me anyway. I don't know if anyone else will find it funny, but my aunt texted me saying she's found someone on Facebook. And I was like, no, there's so many crappy sources. Just no, 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 no. I wasn't having any of it. And I actually had a conversation with her and she seemed so genuine, so nice. And she was actually starting out. They they have a, a SA business, a rental service, accom- um, service accommodation business, and they do flips as well. Uh, but they weren't doing HMOs and they were just purely sourcing HMOs in the area and they had a really good builder who's part of the same network as I am and everything just basically clicked together and I think the beauty about this was the relationship that we built it wasn't so much about you know what everyone has done and things like that it was just more about the relationship and how we thought that we could help each other and knowing the power teams that were involved who can actually deliver and what everyone was saying Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with sources, I suppose anyone in your team, you have to do a level of due diligence. Um, yeah, 100%. Some of it is your gut feeling, right? Like you said, you're super friendly, you know, but something there would have said to you, hmm, okay, like there's a vibe. Let's let's kind of go with it. Yeah, we, we did go to meet them um, and kind of went from there. It wasn't just a one conversation. Let's work together. It mm. did take a little bit of time, a little bit of research and us kind of communicating what we wanted and them showing us, okay, these are the types of deals, these are the analysis, here's the build costs, etc. So it does take time. I'm not saying it's a one conversation. Let's work together. Mm. And how far is Peterborough from you? Uh, so an hour and 45 minutes. So not too far (laughs) (laughs) i'm definitely closer than four and a half and your aunties do they live near you or near peterborough yeah they live around the corner from me so so managing refurbs is this again all done with the saucer or do you all kind of visit how does it work so we did visit this a couple of times but this was a covid refurb and lockdowns and various situations but we did have a lot of conversations they did keep us updated and even on the last deal that i did um 
all the conversations were there we had a whatsapp group we would jump on zoom calls and things like that so just that communication and sending pictures and things like that so we know things are doing uh, happening um but yeah this was through the builder who's also a property investor who owns pretty much most of the hmos in peterborough so a really good reliable source for us to kind of work with as well Mm. and you know, how did you find doing a refurb during COVID and all this lockdown and plaster went missing at one point, I remember now, bloody hell, and all of this stuff happening and also being at a distance. Obviously, it sounds like you had a good builder, but did the lack of control or the distance kind of, I don't know, like annoy you? It did in some sense, but we couldn't control the fact that, you know, there's a smaller team because somebody had COVID or they had to self-isolate. You you can't control these things, but what you can control is how much contingency you do put in. And if it's not going to cost you, I mean, obviously it did cost us in terms of the building side, but on the flip side, on the renting side, it was just making sure all of the pieces and we had the contingency that we were okay with. And we did say that we would have a two to three month contingency just because of all the changes that are happening now. But it was actually an opportunity for us because I was working from home. We could go and visit. We could go after work and go in the evening and visit. Um, it, it just made life a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, you know, after this first property in Peterborough, did you, you know, was it a positive experience? Did you then say, right, we like the area. We like what's happening. We're going to get more. Yeah, so this is where the six deals kind of fell through, like in total, um, that was one of the only deals that went through. We did have another one that we were close on completing and I did post a bunch of stories on this, but um, the the lending solicitors just went AWOL and the vendor basically decided just to pull out because she thought we didn't have any finance, even though everything was approved and it was just a bit of a nightmare to the point where I'm calling the managing director of the lending company, which I'm not even allowed to do. but you know, it just gets to those points where you're just trying to do anything and everything um, for that. So we did like Peterborough as an area, but as we've all seen house prices are going up, there was just no opportunities for us without having to leave in a hefty sum at the end. Mm. And yeah, it's interesting you talk about the kind of bridging because I remember those, those stories and the pain, the absolute pain on your face. Like it was, you could just, you could just feel the exhaustion of, of something which should be very obvious, very easy, and very straightforward. Like that's what bridging should be, because the only reason we pay these lot all this money and these high rates and fees is for those reasons. If we wanted bullshit, we'd get a mortgage. You know what I mean? Or like, so it really annoys me when lenders, and you know, I, you know, I can't say it's most of them or all of them. There's definitely a few do this kind of stuff, or would they chuck on last minute fees, or they just take forever on, you know, what is seemingly quite simple property you know um we're not asking for some flying freehold half leasehold short lease you know um 50 year old 10 year missing freehold like you know it's generally quite straightforward but someone is incapable and i'm glad you phoned the md i would have been putting his name all over freaking instagram but um yeah for people listening this happens right even on the last one that we worked with they i think We'd already exchanged and I think two or three days before completion, or we might not have exchanged at this point, but they asked us, they devalued the property by £10,000. So they asked us to put in £10,000 out of last minute. Yeah. I mean, stuff like this, all it does is leave a sour taste in your mouth. Everyone finds out who the bridger is. We all hate them. No one ever uses them. And then they just go in the pile of, oh, look, another bridger. Like we need more people um if people are going to just a note out there if anyone wants to start a bridging company come chat to me i'm interested two if people are going to start a bridging company it needs to be different don't come to the market with the same shit you know what i mean like yeah you gotta bring something different but i mean how did you cope with that because a lot of energy and emotion went into these deals and, and especially the one that fell out was it just the sales thing kind of keeping you going or how did you cope with that to be honest, I didn't. Um, I was so heartbroken. I felt like I'd like, come out of a really hard relationship. But I was gutted for a few um, a few days. 
And the good thing about being on social media and being so transparent is that I had so many nice messages. And then obviously like my family and my business partners and my boyfriend and things like that, just everything just kind of came into place. And they were like, look, it's just one property. Like, why are you getting emotions? And you post about not getting emotional property (laughs) (laughs) and you're doing it. So do you know what? We just kind of like, okay, what's next now? Let's focus our energy on getting another property. We've got money in the bag. Let's just find something. Um, we mm. just didn't <laughs> but now we have so yeah well amazing and what do you think was the or is or was the biggest mistake you've made kind of in your property journey so far the biggest mistake I have I have two mm-hmm. one is a quick one and it's not telling people when I first started in property I was so embarrassed but <laughs> yeah look at me now like I told so many people I only started telling people last year April um mm. like I, I posted a few pictures up here there of property but only really did I actually start telling people last year April that I was in property um and the second one is thinking that I can do everything on my own or just me and my business partners can do everything on our own and the minute that we started outsourcing little tasks and things like that um it, it was just a big game changer because you can really focus your energy on what's really important to you and how you can get your business to the next level yeah good advice and let's talk about social media because you know we've kind of touched on it throughout this podcast but i think it's important to to really talk about it because you know it is a double-edged sword it has its positives it has its negatives for you i suppose what's been the biggest positive and the biggest negative of you know building a brand and having a brand on social media the biggest positive is just being asked to come on podcasts and doing YouTube videos and being in magazines. Like, it's crazy. I never thought that, you know, these things would happen to me, let alone me reaching out to them. But just people kind of saying, hey, we like you. You've got a good story. Let's jump on a podcast or let's jump on a, an interview or whatever the situation is. And I, it's such a nice feeling that even sometimes when you don't even focus on what's going good, just people are still noticing all of the good things that you're doing. And it's just a really nice like personal feeling. <laughs> um, and then the negative is trolls. You can never control what they're going to say and how they can affect you. And I was actually listening to a... Stephen Barlett's um, podcast the other day and it was someone with like 2 million followers or something like that and he was saying how one comment even when you have 2 million followers can really affect your day and yeah Mm. I think just you know when you put yourself out there it's not accepting that you're going to get hate comments but it's just understanding how to deal with the hate comments and the trolls. Yeah and I remember you posting about this or yeah like yeah i name the same people <laughs> i mean look i think you should because who are they to just like get away with it and just you know like it just and plus like so, okay sometimes you get the the trolls who make comments that you know you can look at and say you know what actually there's some feedback in there so you know f you for saying it really poorly and being rude and having no tact but actually yeah cool maybe there's some feedback there maybe i should consider that and that that's kind of one aspect of it right um but then i've seen some of the ones you've had and they're just like pure hating like there's like just someone rude. said i had brain damage like how can you even say that to somebody i mean it, it it's like these people on the internet well of course it is they just get brave because they're behind a phone but they would never say it to your face in real life like it's just one of these things and you know what steven uh, i think he's great and his book is great and his podcast is really good like that is, it's kind of a, maybe it's a human thing. It's like the human condition, right? No matter how insignificant one out of two million or whatever it is, it's still a kind of hurtful comment. And I suppose, you know, you can dwell on it and sort of ask yourself, well, why are they saying this? Why are they doing that? But sometimes, I don't know what you think, but like trying to understand other humans is just like, <laughs> you'll be grey and dead before you actually can understand someone. It, yeah, exactly. And I think that the good thing is about, when you do have a following and people do genuinely like your content is that they would always reply with a nice message and I even have my back and comment on the the posts and things like that so for every hate comment I get I get literally like hundreds of nice people out there so just focusing on that really yeah no I think that's really important because you know I think and I'd love your thoughts on this but social media can sometimes be quite then ungrateful is that the word where like you post so much content out there it's free which i think people really you know 
people don't value free content as much as paid in some respects, but you know, you put a lot of content out there. It's free. It is really helpful. You're covering topics that, you know, people don't talk about. You know, people can learn from it, right? It is literally free education, but you know, people don't necessarily say thanks or they don't kind of, um, they don't realize how much goes into it or they come with entitlement. Like send you a message like, tell me how to build a property portfolio. And you're like, bruv, really? In one DM, do you want me to answer that? <laughs> um, do you kind of feel that way sometimes? Like it can be quite tough to keep producing content when it feels like, well, I'm maybe not getting that much back given how much effort I'm putting in here? Yes, yeah, sometimes um, I do get that where it's a drain to make content and putting in all of the effort and things like that. But I know consistency is better than nothing. Um, so I do have a lot of stuff that is back recorded that if I genuinely cannot be bothered, I literally have about 100 reels ready to go. <laughs> um, so being prepared and like when you go on holiday and things like that, um, yeah, like, you know, just always have something in the back pocket. You know, I'm always still going to post and things like that, even if I don't want to. You know, imposter syndrome comes in, catfish, everything comes into it. <laughs> but for me, just knowing that consistency is better than not posting anything. Because I know one day I'll look back and regret, why did I not post or why did I not start this earlier? Mm. And, you know, when you started out, because now you're very natural and on camera and it, you, you're talking to the camera as if, you know, you're just talking to a friend, you're just talking to the camera. A lot of people are nervous and they struggle with, um, sometimes even more so than public speaking, they struggle with like making videos. How were you when you started out? I was awful. <laughs> oh my God. But for someone who presents themselves as very confident, I am not confident at all. And it took me about a hundred grows just to try and make my first video but you know you just kind of have to accept that you know they're just going to be crap like you just have to accept it um but if you know what you're saying is strong and you have a message to share with one person you know it's going to help you and just you know you're never going to be perfect at the start and you want to get to places and you can't do it unless you show your face on camera so um yeah it's, it's a tough one but even when people message me on social media like um, what do you think of this? Or they reach out to me and I was like, just put your face on Instagram because it's so hard to relate to people. And I look at people without knowing what they even look like. I don't even know if you're a man or female. I don't know how old you are. Like, you know, not even perception comes in, but it's just nice to know who you're actually speaking to. Yeah, I think it's about like seeing people's eyes. I think when your eyes see another set of eyes, there's a natural human connection there. And it's something you can't really describe. Um, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's kind of confused or neutral, but as soon as you see someone's face, it makes a huge difference because, you know, instead of being a property person, oh, nice house, nice chair, nice room, nice door, it's like, oh, okay, you, that's you. And like, oh my God, I connect. And it's another level. And I think you said there, you only reach certain levels or you achieve certain things when you actually show your face. Um, I know some people can't because of their jobs or because of, you know, whatever, but I think a lot of people make excuses. Um, but, you know, you started off and you were terrible and now you're totally natural. So, you know, with enough practice and with enough acceptance, like you said, um, it definitely makes a big difference. Now, with social media, what has it given you? You know, what has it provided for you? What makes it worth doing? It's the opportunities that come with it just being um you know get, getting asked to be featured in magazines podcasts like I said earlier but then also now brands are reaching out to me saying hey we'll pay you if you do xyz there's a lot of stuff that I've said no to because it just you know my page is very much focused about property and I'm just naturally going to say no to loads of things but there have been a few brands that I'm like working with or in the pipeline of working with and it's basically given me sort of a a new low income stream but you know you've got to start somewhere and I didn't ever think that was going to be possible and now I'm talking to companies about um sponsoring some of my refurb and like things like that as well so it, it's given me a lot when you have a focus of what where you want to go and so that direction is always going to change I know it's probably going to change in a month's time but there's so many opportunities out there whether it's another income stream whether you can partner with another investor and that's another thing as well because you know um I do get messages from investors and things like that as well so yeah, I know I've said a whole bunch there, but just opening up to new people and new opportunities. And is it worth the time and effort you put in for those opportunities? 
to be honest, right now, because property is so hands off for me, um, I have no other time but just to focus on my content at the time. And when I do have stuff to do with property, when I'm going through a purchase or looking at new areas and things like that, you'll notice that I won't be on social media as much. But when I have, um, you know, spare time and I'm not doing as much in property, which I know is a fortunate thing to say and not a lot of people can relate to this. But yeah, I can just spend most of my time kind of creating my brand and focusing on my content. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I love creating reels. Um, sometimes it can be a chore, um, but I love creating. I just find them so fun and it's just literally 60 seconds, bang, done. It is. And I think, you know, when someone enjoys it, especially when it's them on camera, you can really tell the difference. When someone enjoys it and when someone's just doing it because, you know, Ted and Radica said you have to post every day, like you, you, you can <laughs> kind of tell the difference. So I think that that's like important to note. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it does take effort. It does take time. You know, sometimes I'd rather, I'd rather make reels and deal with builders. I mean, I don't know if anyone would pick builders over a reel, but um, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. So yeah, it can definitely provide these opportunities, open the doors, get you to places where, you know, without it, it wouldn't have done. Um, what about raising money? Because a lot of people build a brand to raise money. How have you found it with people approaching you? I'm terrified when people message me. I'm honestly terrified. And I know you've done this, Tej, where you've worked with investors through social media, but I am honestly terrified to work with people on social media. There's so many opportunities that I've said no to because I don't know what I'm doing. As not knowing, but just because I don't know that person. And it, it, I'm more of a pessimist when it comes to this kind of side. But there has been opportunities where I am in conversations with people about it. And the good thing is I have a big family and I have friends and, you know, friends and friends and things like that who are all following me, who I do know. And they're like kind of the people that I want messaging me saying hey we've seen your stuff we love it we know you we trust you let's invest x amount of money um rather than uh, yeah it just terrifies me about strangers messaging me interesting because of course there's a wealth literally a wealth of wealth out there that is I suppose literally at your fingertips and potentially in your inbox right now and in next week and last week and so you know do you think that will change do you think you will open up to stranger investors i would hope so i really really hope so but at the same time i'm just i don't know it's just something that i just need to get over with because i know it's an opportunity and who knows where what that who that person is or what that opportunity will create i just need to kind of push myself out there um and it's like when i first started in property you know i had no idea what i was doing no idea who to work with but things just fall into place and i'm just hoping it just really falls into place <laughs> I know what you mean. Now, if we go right back to the start when we said, you know, obviously you're working in a job and you've got property as well. Um, do you have like a morning routine or like a pre-property routine that sets you up for the day or are you kind of less structured with it? Yeah, so I definitely morning routine has to be done. I don't go to the gym every single morning, but I try to go to the gym in the morning and it just it just makes such a big difference. But I write down my goals every single day. I write down my affirmations every single day. And my goals vary. So like one day I'll focus on 20 years, the other day I'll focus on 10 years because I'm there's no way in hell I'm spending that much time writing out my goals on every single year. But there's five different years that I focus on each day of the week, Monday to Friday. Um, and then I focus on the one thing. So what is that one thing that I need to do to get me in my property business to get to the next step? Is it you know what needs to be done and that's what I just try and focus on okay what is the big goal for today even if it's small it's still a big goal for me but what is that one thing that needs to be done I don't care about doing five ten different things just that one thing isn't there a book called the one thing yeah that's literally where I get my I I thought because when you said it I just pictured the front cover of it and I thought this sounds really familiar but well it obviously works so the, the theory's being put into practice um speaking of books um are you a big reader is it important to you Yes, I I used to love reading books, but now I've just switched to Audible and I just find life so much easier with Audible, especially when you can listen to a 1.5. Oh, yeah, I listen to like 2.8, 2.5, depending on the accent. And it's it's just, it, yeah, it's a different kettle of fish. You just take in so much more, especially if you naturally speak fast. I think you just you just pick it up. Yeah. Um, go on then. What are your, I won't say top three because like it's, there's so many good books but what are some of your favorite books not just property because obviously it will be test talks and test talks but otherwise what are your general favorite books 
obviously Tej Talks. Um, <laughs> obviously, you have to mention that. Um, no, it is a really good book for anyone who hasn't actually read it. That is not you paying me to say that, but <laughs> then you do believe it. Because um, it's just a good property, like, you know, different, etc. Whoever is listening to this, go and read it. Um, but I would say the 12-week year, which just really helps you understand how to structure your time, especially if you are working full time, is just understanding how to structure your time, what you need to focus on. Um, I would say um, how to win friends and influence people. I just think there's so many good tips on how to build relationships in that. And there's one on digital age, which I haven't read yet, but I heard that's quite good as well. Um, The one thing, as we've just spoken about, I think, yeah, if you're, these are all to people who are working full time because that's where I fit in. Just understanding how to structure your time or what you need to focus on. Um, just trying to think of general books. Um, you know what? I'm not even in front of my bookcase, so I can't even like pick out <laughs> which one. I think there's some good choices there. I think um, Dale Carnegie, the um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think that's just like a a guide for life, right? Yeah, like you you like i kind of read it every year and every time you still pick up something and like it just teaches you how to live and how to treat other people and like how to kind of get ahead without putting other people down and it's yeah i think it's like a must read for everyone on earth like it's incredible it is whatever type of role you're in is definitely a must read and there's i can't believe i forgot about this book but the compound effect because it teaches you about how to keep going when you're not seeing results and that's a big factor when you're starting a property because you're not going to see results on day one and just understanding what the compound effect is doing both positively and negatively because I didn't even think about this like bad habits also compound and yeah it's just a great book for everyone in life as well (laughs) yep compound effect and also the slight edge I think if you read those sort of together you know one after each other I mean, they're very repetitive, but I think it's a good thing because it drills it into your head. Um, But they'll both combine as really good books and show you, yeah, like exactly what you said there. And if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, um, what would you eat? Which is kind of probably the the most important part of the question. Um, And who would you eat with? What would I eat? Oh, I was not expecting that question. I would have to say I'd probably go for sushi. Just I love sushi. Um, So, yeah, probably. Um, I would love to meet Michelle Obama. If Mm. anyone has read her book, she I I just feel like the things that she is doing for women. And I I don't know what it is, but there's just something about her that's so relatable for all women, Um, especially when, you know, it's only a small section in property as well, just yeah i just think it's she's just an amazing person and there's so much to learn off of her um the second person is uh i'm gonna say stephen barlow now just because i've been listening to him loads i just feel like he has so many life lessons Mm. that are so relatable in this day and age and living in this social media era where everything is digital you know, you don't even have to get up to go and order food or anything like that and just learning how to live with it, but still not neglecting life and relationships and experiences. Um, the third one, uh, I'm struggling. <laughs> I mean, you, you could just do those two. I think those two would actually get along really well with each other as well. Like, it would just be a vibe because they're both pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that just everyone has like so much in common as well, like kind of, what they did before as well absolutely i've seen i've been within a few meters of michelle obama actually saw her speaking at some event when i studied in america my friend tried to hug her and like he ran out of the crowd to hug her and literally four of the biggest guys you've ever seen in your life (laughs) landed on him and he's like quite small and skinny anyway he was like he disappeared under these four big men who just picked him up and threw him over the fence it was hilarious um but yeah, that's my experience with Michelle Obama. You know, you mentioned something there really interesting. You know, being a woman in a male-dominated industry and, you know, in, in in some respects, a backwards industry in terms of gender, race and lots of things, especially in construction. Um, and if you look at the corporate level of, you know, these like 
kind of big uh, property development companies, everyone looks the same. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you know, how have you found this experience? Has it kind of, you know, have you noticed different things, people treating you differently? What's your kind of overall experience in this? Most of it has been good. And I do get a lot of females reaching out to me. But I, I just feel like I'm more of a personable approach for them because I'm someone that's kind of younger doing it in the flesh and blood and like just showing people what I'm doing. So in that respect, it's quite nice to know that. But um, I did have um, men, certain men saying that people will never invest in, you know, three brown people and just like just terminology that they're using. And, you know, people will never invest in young females. I've had that as well. And you know, there's a certain class that this all fits into of a type of persona that is saying this. Um, but, you know, someone's got to do it. And, you know, it, you're always going to get hate no matter who you are, where you come from, you're always going to get hate from someone. Um, but just being kind of an inspiration to one person, one other person is kind of what keeps me going, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I don't know uh, if I answered the question there. <laughs> no, I think you did because it, it's quite a broad question, so you can kind of take it any way you want. I think like boys who say things like that because it, it just you know, yeah, I, I have nothing but uh, not nice words to say to them. So before the expletives come in and the podcast editor blocks me out, <laughs> um, I, I won't say anything. But I think you know we're all thinking the same thing about them. Um, yeah, they'll be in a certain place in life where you won't be. So that's good. Uh, Radhika, thank you so much for coming on to the TED Talks podcast. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to check out your content, where are the best places? And I'll put this in the show notes, but where are the best places they can go? Yeah, so thanks for so much for having me. It's been a blast and I feel like we've covered so much. So <laughs> hoping this helps um, people and we've just had a great time. So that's all I care about. Um, but um, they can find me on Instagram. So my Instagram is Radhika underscore all about property. And I just started a YouTube channel. So if you guys can go and support me on that, that would be fantastic. And I'll be forever grateful. <laughs> I better make sure I go and subscribe now. I don't know. I think, I, I think I have. No, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. Um, cool. Radhika, thanks again so much. Thanks so much. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.